just love it. You just do. You just do. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> I just do. I love it. I do. <laughs> I can't help it. I love it. I, I do. <laughs> it's 8.55 a.m. Saturday, February the 20th, 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the bit in Diane. Some, some of you might wonder what? why we always start off with me laughing hilariously, what? but no. Bill is always doing something silly before the no, show starts. It's, it's, you can tell that it's a forced laugh, though. I mean, it's just not strictly <laughs> theatrical. She only does it because, you know, she knows the show is starting and she has to giggle at the front of the show. I do not It's know in that. the script, Diane. It's in the script. It's right there on the cue card. Oh, yeah. Right there. Oh, Don't you forgot. See yeah, of course. It's so are you? It's a, it's a nice morning. We have candlelight, uh, one particularly <laughs> potent candle, and uh, twinkle little fairy flecks everywhere, and the, the blinds are open, and the daylight's coming in, and uh, there's uh, particle physics. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm gonna take me a sip. And, uh, and Rasputin in the corner, and. Ah, ham and eggs. Small little elf-like creatures <laughs> dancing about on the coffee table. <laughs> it's quite an array of uh, phantasmagorical um, personnel here in the treehouse on a Saturday morning. Yeah, that, that particularly potent candle used to be punky. I know. And it then it's the, just sort of it like, the, I'll was, show you. It was the runt of the litter. And, <laughs> and then suddenly it's found its, I don't know. Something. I think it might be glandular. <laughs> I think it might have to do with, you know, something on that left pheromones. Or, I don't know. I, I don't know. What I do know, Diane, is that it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine. As per usual. Over to you, Diane. That was mighty quick, Bill. I know. It's because I'm basically a vacuous person with no original thoughts. And, and uh, I'm just... I'm just uh, trying, to get, trying to get out of it. Uh, I'm just trying to get out of it. I just don't want to have to do it. I don't want the responsibility <laughs> of having to actually say something concrete, something uh, factual. <laughs> Makes me shudder to even think of it. Well, this week, the yeah. notable, things notable things are that we had a little birthday celebration with Kelly and Mary yesterday, even yes, though it was, you know, sort of a, a drive-by, fly-by type of thing. We had a great FaceTime call with them, though. That was oh, great. Oh, yeah, it was. You were, doing, you were doing research. She was talking about all kinds of stuff about Pisces men, and Kelly and I were just sitting there being, feeling abused. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was basically a... Feeling really, abused. No, but it was like it was like a it was like a it's like we got together for lunch or something. It was because it just kind of kept going. The conversation just kept being interesting, and it was great. I very much enjoyed that. And I loved that Mary was wearing an apron through the whole thing because she was in the middle of doing dishes, and we kind of took her away from doing the dishes. And she kept saying, "Well, I need to get back and do the dishes." And then something else interesting would happen, and she'd come back. It was great. I like those guys. So the other notable thing... Oh, yeah, and we celebrated Kat's birthday this week, too, didn't we? 
Was that this week too? Yeah, it's only her days is her birthday is two days before Kelly's. Hers <gasps> is the seventeenth, his is the nineteenth. Yeah, we celebrated Kat's birthday online too, yeah. as people can witness on our pages. Right. And yeah. it's a it's a popular birthday um, time for yeah. for lots of beloved people in our life. Right. Um, the other thing that's on my mind is uh, sort of an interesting little turnabout that I would not have expected this week. Um, one of my childhood friends, Julie Pascalotti. Julie Pascalotti. She was a friend of mine when I was uh, a kid, and she lived next door. Her her father and mother uh, were both from Italian. Well, her father was actually from Italy. Uh-huh. Her mother was uh, the daughter of Italian immigrants. And they moved next door when I was, I don't know, I want to say like in first grade, second grade, somewhere around there. Okay. Her father worked at Aerojet. Oh. And uh, Julie contacted me to send me, well, she actually called me, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago to let me know that her mother had died. Mm. I knew that her father had already died. And we are not in constant contact, but she has connected with me several times in my adult life uh, because our friendship was very important to her when we were kids. And it was really interesting how emotional I got when I heard that her mother had passed. And I think it's partially just because of the memories of this um, of this family. And it made me think how curiously potent those memories are from your childhood of the adults that surrounded you. Um, because I remember, I have really powerful memories of her parents and I don't know whether I saw them that frequently uh, my friendship with Julie lasted until I moved to um, Walnut Creek with my family which was around fifth grade and then it was reconnecting uh, that friendship when we moved back to Sacramento when I was in seventh grade and continued until her family moved away from Sacramento in, uh, and they moved down to Huntington Beach area, I think maybe around my sophomore year of high school. So it was sort of a, an interesting friendship right. that I had. But I still have this memory of Penny Pascalotti, who just has passed away, um, I have this memory of her making ravioli when I was just a kid. And it was just such a fascinating process to me. I had never seen anybody make ravioli in my life, you know? I've never seen it. I've still never seen anybody. I don't know whether I ever had any ravioli before I had ravioli at the Pascalati's. I bet it was good ravioli. Oh, it was fantastic. And But I still remember her 
rolling out the dough. You know, we just kind of hung around and watched yeah. her do it. Mm-hmm. And in the obituary, they actually talk about her making ravioli for her friends that she loved to do that. So it really, the obituary really hit me yeah. uh, because of that and that memory. So after I had read the obituary for uh, Penny, who lived a long life, she was, I think, 94 when she died. So she had... She was like my mom, had a long life. But uh, Julie's father had died around the same time that my father died. Uh, he died in 1997. My father died in 1998. And I thought, you know, I'd like to read the obituary for Emilio is his name. And I just, I loved his name, Emilio Pascalani. Emilio Pascalani. So I did a search on Google, and that's one of the most marvelous things is that you can right. do that. Right, right. And I found this article about him instead of an obituary that was about him being a prisoner of war, uh, and that that is how he met Penny. It was so fascinating to me because he was he fought for the Italians in World War Two, and... Right, well, didn't you say something about how your dad and he used to talk about how they'd fought on opposite sides in the That's, war? I, I do have this, this distinct memory of yeah. being at the dinner table with, uh, with the whole family and my father and he discussing the fact that it was so strange that they liked each other so much and yet they would have been on opposite sides of the war, wow. you know? that they could have killed each other yeah. and that they loved each other uh, in this iteration of their lives, wow. you know? Yeah. And just reading about how, how he had traveled to these different places, being a prisoner of war of the British, and then how the, finally he was passed over to the Americans, was sent over to Cucamonga in this prisoner of war camp, where they really, it just sounded like, you know, sort of like, hey, you know. Everybody got along. And, <laughs> yeah, everybody know, got they, along. They worked in the fields, and they got to know the farmers. And, and they, they could were, walk around. It was, yeah. And that's how he met uh, uh, Penny. I mean, the, the whole story was... Pen, Penny was like a farmer's daughter of one of the farmers that, whose fields he was working in? A niece of one of the farmers. Okay. And he met her, and they fell in love and then he was transferred to another area but he could still see her and then he after the war ended he was he had to be sent back to Italy right he, right At he had to be sent back to Italy and then Penny went to Italy and joined him and they got married in Italy and then now, now that he was a U.S. citizen they came back to the United States wow. what a trip I know it was it was <laughs> like this amazing story that came out of nowhere for me Uh, when i read that story i was thinking wow this is a childhood friend's father Mm -hmm. and what a history uh that he had and i was thinking about all these people that you know when you're a kid and that you you were these are the adults are like a different (laughs) a different tribe you know they are they are they're like they're like uh, weird like alien creatures or something yeah. <laughs> yeah. the giants that walk the earth and you know so little about them you but you have these little memories of things right. that 
that populate your mind. And that just fascinated me to no end, the, how that powerful memory of watching Penny Pascalotti making ravioli and the powerful memory of my father and Emilio talking at the dinner table, both coming up from these, these sources that were unexpected this week. It just made me think how, what is it about childhood that those people are, uh, it's just like they imprint on your mind in such a different way than you ever have the rest of your life. Because I can remember so much about Emilio and, and Penny. And I remember the reason why, uh, why they had to move out of the area is that Emilio Pascalotti worked for Aerojet. And then um, Aerojet had a big downturn. It was like Boeing is up here. Mm-hmm. And he was laid off along with many, many other workers. And, and I remember for a while he was having to go door to door selling vacuum cleaners. I mean, it was, it got to that kind of yeah. Um, yeah. desperation, but then he was able to get a job down in Huntington Beach area. Wow. Life. So, but I think about these amazing stories that our families have and that we as children are, are around those stories, but we don't get at them the meat of them because mm. we're kids right. and they won't talk to us as much about it yeah. you know yeah i remember it, I mean, there's so much of childhood i think is uh, observing the grown-ups you know just being on the on the on the edges of conversations and stuff like that and you don't you know i remember, there'd be curious moments where you'd be kind of like what what were they what are they talking about but you don't know and you can't ask and so it just kind of sits in your memory as these uh, as little kind of unanswered questions or or something and uh, it's nice when you can fill in a lot of blanks later on well i'm just glad i even had the impulse to to look up that story i mean i wasn't looking up that story but man i mean it was in several newspapers mm. because apparently this uh pow camp was uh, the nurturing ground for all these Italian Americans who became quite influential in their communities. And I thought, wow, and that was from a prisoner of war situation, but they were, it was like they came to this country and loved it and didn't want to go back to Italy and they wanted to stay here and become citizens. It sounds like the communities wherein they were housed kind of embraced them too. Well, because, because a lot of them were from Italian right. um, they, descent. They, it seems like they located the prisoner of war camps in Italian communities that were already extant, you know. Right. Uh, what an, it's such an interesting uh, a series of decisions that went into locating the, the camp where it was located so that, that it was just like they were new people in the community more than they were prisoners of war it's not like they were well and they were uh, the prisoners of war that were uh, cooperating with the americans right. because apparently there was uh, in the in the groups that were sent over to america and that that was amazing to me i never knew that they would send prisoners of war over to america yeah. that never occurred to me yeah. um so it, it's just like this little interesting gem of history that you don't know 
but apparently there were people who were um, devotees of Mussolini and people who were devotees to communism and you know they were all kind of congregated together and then they they separated these people out so they wouldn't be in the same group so but anyway that was just it's a weird thing that that became such a a big thing and but I, I this just happened yesterday that I was looking this up and it really has been on my mind both from the standpoint of this amazing history that I did not know about for U.S. history right. and also uh, just the idea of how powerfully these people affect you in your life and and of course you know when Julie called me I, I actually started crying when she told me that her mother, mother died I haven't seen her mother since I was in, in high, high school, school. Yeah. and early high school not even later high school yeah. but it was sort of like this this feeling of all these these members of our our adult tribe are are gone you know the it, it, i don't know that i have that many friends whose parents are still alive at this point um, and it's it's hard to to see that generation go. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, that was sort of I was trying to think of what a, a, those were the the big things of the week were the birthdays and yeah. and this uh, exploration of uh, childhood parents' memory. I've been trying to kind of been scouring my mind. Uh, for songs, songs that we used to play when I was a kid, that or my that my dad used to play, uh, that I can work up. Well, I sure like the one you played as a early bird special on the Treehouse this week. Oh yeah. Smoke. Smoke along the track. Yeah. Yeah, that's a song my dad used to sing. Memories like the cold. Pardon me, I'm gonna have another drink of coffee. <laughs> we don't have to have that. You boy, it's good coffee. Golden <laughs> memories of the way we were. Okay. Scattered pictures. Well, I did enjoy listening to that old song. I've never heard that song before. Yeah. Well, these days I'm I've, I've got to like look online to find the to find the lyrics and stuff like that because I I don't remember them. I don't remember all those songs. I don't remember all the words. I just remember my dad singing them. So, and speaking of old songs, this morning I woke up with a with a Paul Simon song in my head, and it seemed you know kind of appropriate for this time of year. I remember when I first got the album There Goes Ryman Simon and how much that album meant to me and how much I wore it out just by playing it over and over again and listening to it. There's so many different kinds of sounds on that album. Uh, and there are so many people that are on the album that I just got I just had to listen to it again and I'm going to play some of it but I mean you look at the list of credits 
the nice thing about the internet is that you know all of Paul Simon's albums are individually annotated uh, in Wikipedia, which is an amazing source of information, as everybody knows. But just the just the list of people who play on these songs, it's amazing. And I think I want to play tenderness after all, not because the thought the song is thematically relevant to me, but because of the, uh, the Dixie Hummingbirds. The song, the vocalizing on it is just so amazing. And then also Take Me to the Mardi Gras, which are just tracks two and three from uh, There Goes Rhyme and Simon. But I mean, you got people like uh, uh, Alan Toussaint did the, did, the, did the horn arrangements for Take Me to the Mardi Gras. And just all the different people. If you look on Wikipedia <coughs> at the number of people who performed on that album, and this is 1973, and Paul Simon was already exploring different musical uh, genres in such an amazing way. That uh, that that album just lives in my musical knowledge and in my musical history in a very resonant kind of way. Well, I was just looking up to see what they did for Mardi Gras this year. It was on February 16th, and I was thinking, what would they have done during the pandemic? And and I just saw, you know, some Twitter feeds when I looked up Mardi Gras 2021. It said, with no parades this year, people in New Orleans are decorating their houses for Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. So House floats? I heard some mention of house floats. They're, instead of having floats that go down the street in a parade, they're decorating their houses like floats or something like that. Did you know that the melody to American Tune is taken almost note for note from St. Saint, Saint Matthew Passion, written by Johann Sebastian Bach? Who no! Was, who was not credited on the album. In turn, Bach had I- imitated the melody of Hans Leo Hassler's Mein Günth in Mergwindetit. <laughs> in St. Matthew's Passion. Wow! Yeah. That's kind of cool, actually. I know. It is kind of cool. But I'm not playing that one. No. I'm going to play Tenderness... And take me to the Mardi Gras. And just the sound, the sonic qualities on these songs. You know, you hear that coming out of your childhood little tiny speaker on your record player. And it just blows your mind. It just opens all these uh, kind of musical windows and lets all this air into your head. Uh, You know, in 1973, I was, you know, what? I was in middle school maybe a ninth grader or something like that when I first heard this album. Wonderful, resonant memory. What can I do? What can I do? Much of what you say is true. I know you see Oh, 
Oh 